You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. The following is a Pulse to the Heart presentation in association with the PFC Podcast Network and has been rated M for mature audiences only. Some language and dialogue may not be suitable for members of a family under 18 years of age. Hi, I'm Jason Klaus, and this is not your typical wrestling podcast. Instead, I'm going to be joined by a revolving panel of fans and experts as we look back on the biggest matches, moments, and events in the history of professional wrestling. So grab your foam fingers, make up your signs, don't forget your fanny packs, and join us as we take a trip back to yesteryear. Join us as we take a trip in the Turnbuckle Time Machine on the PFC Podcast Network powered by Anchor.fm. Everybody, I'm Jason Klaus and welcome to the Turnbuckle Time Machine here on the PFC Podcast Network powered by Anchor.fm. This is going to be a unique episode for this particular program. We're doing something of kind of a cross promotion here on the network this week. It's been a minute since we've been able to get new content out for the time machine. And it, this idea, this episode was actually spawned by accident, if you, you know, for the lack of a better term, organically, I guess is a better word. To, to describe it, just during the course of a uh, casual conversation with Crosstalk before I recorded another show on this network and like it just spawned this idea, hey, we should probably transfer over to the Turnbuckle Time Machine to discuss this particular genre. Uh, joining me for this week's episode, uh, he joins me every Wednesday here on the PFC Podcast Network as part of Power Trippin' Through the 80s. Wrestling fans in this area know him as Levi Blue, um, multiple-time Hall of Famer in the professional wrestling business. Uh, listeners to the PFC Podcast Network know him as Sean Krugel. So, Sean, welcome, my friend, to the Turnbuckle Time Machine. Yeah, it's... Uh... Been a minute. I've been listening to some of these goofs that you've been having on the air with you. <laughs> Quite frankly, you know, you say people in this area know me as Levi Blue. To hell with that. Levi Blue is known across every state. All right. <laughs> Let's get that perfectly clear. Okay. Also, multiple time Hall of Famer. No, that would be a five time Hall of Famer. That's one for every ring. For me to slap on my finger and knock out every other jabroni that you've had on your show. And Tim Williams, Ronnie Garvin, yeah, I got a few words for you, buddy. Hold my sucker, bitch. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> okay, well, we are coming out of the gate with with both barrels blazing here. Now, let's kind of lay the groundwork out. Now, generally on this show, I, I mean, I can tell you're fired up and uh, cool. I'm ready to roll. You know what I mean? Um, We recorded our most recent episode of Power Tripping through the 80s. Uh, You can find that on Wednesdays here on on the network. Um, But during the crosstalk, before we came on, before we went on the air to record that show, like we got into a, a discussion about professional wrestling. Now, generally on this program, we will go back in time in the proverbial time machine and focus on a specific event, a specific wrestler, a specific uh, list of sorts of categories. I mean, you look at the history of the business, and I mean, there's just so much content there. Now, I feel like uh, during the course of this program here, like we're going to be bouncing back and forth, proverbially speaking, in the time machine between what's happening now in the business and what it was back when it was cool, <laughs> you know, by and large, I'll, I'll say it, you know, um, but Sean, you know, you, you're, you're on here and you know, you're fired up, you're ready to talk about this. Like it, you're kind of in between both characters. Like there's very much the Levi blue influence in terms of your delivery, but like, the feelings and the things that, that we're talking about is very much from who you are fundamentally as a wrestling fan. I mean, take obviously because of our involvement in the business and, and, and the different paths that you and I have taken in the wrestling business, make no mistake about it. We have a perspective of the business that the general fan have has no concept of like we've been in the business we've been in the wrestling ring we have you know had a career as performers in this art this sport this realm of entertainment all roll rolled into one um so obviously we have very specific opinions of what we're seeing here and how that is a in a lot of ways, a stark contrast to the way the business was that got us hooked initially. So we're going to be doing a lot of back and forth here, right? So, I mean, what spawned this idea for, for you? Well, all right. So we're talking about characters. Let's just face it. Levi Blue is just Sean Grugel cranked up to 10. Sure. So what I'm going to do, just so that listeners don't get too... I don't know, enamored with the beauty that is Levi Blue coming through the airwaves. I'm going to crank it down to about five, okay? Because wrestling right now is pure and utter bullshit garbage. And I hope you put the disclaimer on the front of the show because, let's face it, the stuff I'm seeing now versus the stuff I saw in the 80s, let's go even further. The stuff I used to watch in the 70s and 60s. The stuff on TV, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. It's not going to be a very popular opinion. This whole thing about Triple H being the savior of the WWE, those people that are saying that I can nibble on my right nutsack while my left nutsack is hitting them in the face. 
Back to the battery. <laughs> Are you okay, sir? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I haven't cranked the dial back yet. I'm working on it, okay? <laughs> okay. Please continue. <laughs> and I will give right. you my rebuttal. This whole thing with Triple H being the savior, WWE TV, he hasn't shown me shit yet. And I've been watching, you know, you marks on the message boards and on Facebook, on uh, NoDQ.com talking about what a great job he's doing. Now, but I'll say I'm real happy with some of the people he's bringing back. What he's doing for the rest of the storylines and the matches and the booking, in my opinion, has been complete and utter garbage. Your rebuttal, sir. Okay. I can understand your point of view, sir. I certainly can. Here's my approach with it. I've seen enough immediate change right out of the gate that has me interested and I have allowed to provide a degree of patience to see how this plays out. Now, you look at everything that Vince McMahon was condemned for in the last few years of his reign atop WWE. He was doing some of the dumbest shit. And he, wasn't, he clearly wasn't listening to the ideas from the talent. And he certainly was not dialed in to what the fans thought that they wanted to see. And in turn, like, I felt like some of his decisions during the last little bit here before his retirement, um, I felt like he did that just to spite the fan base. And now that's, you're looking at a guy, you're talking to a guy that has been a Vince McMahon guy from day one. Like, I have supported him, supported the company, supported everything from day one. Like, WWE has always been the one for me. Um, in my opinion, with his uh, removal or his <coughs> departure from WWE, Triple H was the only logical choice. Uh, he has demonstrated that he he can achieve success in that role with the NXT brand and what it had become before they did the whole 2.0 reboot. Not a fan. And you can plainly see that Hunter's influence was nowhere near the reboot. Like, that was strictly Vince. Just you know, the over-the-top presentation of it, like, it took away from what made NXT special, in my opinion. Now, um, like, some of the things that Vince did, like, taking people's first names away, like, their gimmick first names, and just, like, Matt Riddle just became Riddle, uh, a Champa, um, uh, Austin Perry, like, one of the first things that Triple H did was slowly but surely start reinstating people's full names, which I know in the grand scheme of things, it's a drop in a bucket, but that's a big damn deal. Like, it annoyed me. Like, you, why, are, why are we doing this? Like, it worked for, like, a Goldberg. It worked for certain guys like that, like Sting. 
you know, these one word names. But back then, it wasn't such a common thing as it had become in WWE. Like Antonio Cesaro, you know, they they took his first name. Now, he was actually able to achieve some some degree of success. But um, reinstating the first names and reestablishing a lot of these guys' identity is a huge step in the right direction. I, you and I talked about this. You mentioned it. Some of the guys that he's bringing back, Bray Wyatt was the most important get that Triple H had to lock down. There was no shit in way he could allow him to go to All Elite Wrestling. Because I feel like All Elite Wrestling would, wouldn't know what to do with a Bray Wyatt. Because he couldn't All be... Know what the fuck you're doing with the guys they got now? <laughs> Did you do you care to expand? <laughs> Tony Khan is the proverbial Pokemon collector. He's trying to collect them all, and he doesn't know how to play the fucking game. Okay? He's going out there giving everyone and their brother a contract but doesn't have the TV time, nor the creative, nor, how do I want to put this? He he has too much. He's put 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. And I'm not calling the workers he's got shit. I'm just saying he's got so much talent that he doesn't know how to book them. He doesn't have a place to book them. He's got three hours of TV and an internet show. That's what he's got. He should really be focusing on his main names and going from there. Now, to go back to Triple H, you are absolutely right about NXT, the original incarnation of NXT. What Triple H was bringing to the game by bringing in the Johnny Garganos, the Tommaso Ciampas, the Samoa Joes, that was, I loved that product, okay? And you're right. The shit that Vince did with 2.0, I almost feel like that was a slap in the face to Triple H to try to humble him because Vince known to do shit like that. But I've been waiting 30 years for a product that I can get behind. Ever since the John Cena era, I have been so disenchanted with wrestling, but I'm the type of person who will still continue to watch it week after week after week. Am I watching it in the same context as I did in the 90s? No. I'm using the DVR. I'm skipping over the promos. I'm skipping over the garbage wrestlers I don't want to watch. Like a fucking Liv Morgan. Like, like oh, God. Uh, like a Shotzi Blackheart or Blackwell or whatever the fuck her name is. I There's Triple H, to me, is now Tony Khan 2.0. Triple H is now going to have more talent than what he's going to be able to know what to do with. And he needs he needs to stop worrying about making friends. He needs to start worrying about making cuts and not caring about what enemies he makes. Because it's time to trim the fat from that promotion. Bring back who you want to bring back. But it's a matter of give and take. If I, if I want Bray Wyatt back, then maybe I need to cut Liv Morgan off the roster. If I want to bring Johnny Gargano back, then maybe I need to get rid of, oh, 
I don't know off the top of my head. Um, who don't I, I, I like? At this Otis. Point? Otis. Yeah. Chad Gable. Give that man a push. Yeah. I mean, this price is carrying a 400-pound man and gave him a gimmick, and he ain't doing shit with it. Triple H, is he the savior of the WWE? He could be. He's starting to put his players in place. He's brought back HBK. He's brought back Road Dog. You know, the 25th uh, anniversary of the E-Generation uh, X. I admit it. I marked out four. But it's not going to be the retro gimmicks that are going to save the WWE. It's going to be the build of new talent who are talented. And not just there to flash their tits or mark out for themselves because of, you know, the high spots that they're doing. I'm, I'm all done with that stuff now. I want to take, um, I don't want to say I, I take exception to comparing Triple H as Tony Khan 2.0, and here's why. Um <laughs> I want to say, for those of you who, who do not know my stance on this, self-admittedly, I do not follow all elite wrestling. I wanted to. I wanted to really like it. I swear to God, I did. I, I wanted the industry to have um, more than one game. I wanted, because I, as a former promoter like i think it's important that talent world-class talent has ample opportunity to make a living for themselves and for their family on a national if not worldwide scale right now or right then at that time it, everything was world wrestling entertainment and then with the creation of aew there was that that hope for a viable other option in professional wrestling that was on a national scale. They put a lot of the right pieces in place. But for weeks leading up to their big launch, they came out into the media and said, we are not WWE. We do not see ourselves as competition for WWE. We are the alternative to WWE. You will never hear us compare ourselves to the other promotion. And what the fuck happened in their first pay-per-view? You had Cody Rhodes come out, take a sledgehammer, and quote-unquote break apart a throne that had been associated with Triple H's character. Right out of the gate, you fucking lost me. I would tune in and see if what the Revival were doing, or FTR, as, as they're called. Um, I tuned in when CM Punk made his return because I wanted to see what that looked like. And it was impressive. The problem is, is Tony Khan has no shit in business being in the wrestling business. Bottom line, he is a mark. 
with a lot of money, but most of which uh, isn't even really his. You know what I'm saying? Like, if his father didn't own the Jacksonville Jaguars, there wouldn't be all elite wrestling. And nobody will convince me otherwise. Triple H is, is truly the student of the game. He, there is not an aspect of the business he has not had his hand in. From performer to executive and where he's at now. Um, I feel like, much like you just said, he's putting his right, he's putting the right, pl- the right people in the right places. It's going to take a minute. It's going to take a minute for both brands, Raw and SmackDown, to figure out what's going to be that winning formula that it's going to be successful on both sides of the equation. Um, And I'm totally with you on the fact that if you're going to bring this guy back, you need to cut somebody else. There's a lot of people on that roster that probably don't need to be there. Um, You talk about Organo, Karrion Cross. You know, a lot of these guys, uh, Dexter Loomis, who I was personally very excited about seeing come back. I like, I love the Dexter Loomis gimmick. Love it. You put him in the right spot in the right program, dude. Like, there's pieces there that could that the company could build themselves around, could build itself around, and really make a tremendous amount of difference. Um at the top of that mountain right now is the right guy in my opinion. And I don't know how you feel about it, but like Roman reigns is the guy that needs to be on top right now. Would you agree with that or no? I do agree with that. Um, and I can't argue about what you just said about triple H because one thing that I complain about constantly on my Levi blue Facebook and Quite frankly, I'm going to bring this up to the listeners. I'm not here to promote Levi Blue. Levi Blue is pretty much dead, but he's an opinionated son of a bitch. And I let a lot of opinions fly on there. And one of the things I've always said is that a person who's going to be involved in the wrestling business needs to be brought up in the wrestling business. And you're absolutely right about Tony Khan. Um, He has no shit in business being in the position he's in. Now, he had the right players in place to help him as far as I'm concerned. And I kind of chuckled a little bit when you brought up Cody Rhodes because Cody Rhodes did exactly what he had to do despite the fact that you hated the, the, the whole thing with him destroying Triple H's throne because that threw notice on him. He got notice from not only you, not only other people watching the show, but he got notice from other WWE executives. Look what the hell he did. And now, three years later, where's he at? Back in the WWE. Now, when AEW first started, one of the things I said is that they are the this generation's fire festival. I thought they were going to promise the world and not come through on anything. And they have come through with some pretty decent wrestling. And you're absolutely right. They came through and they said that they were not the WWE. But look at their roster now. Right. It's WWE 2015 to 2020. And when I watch AEW now, 
I watch it much the same as I watched WWE now. When AEW started out in that first year, I watched every promo. I watched every match. I even watched the bullshit picture in picture. By the way, sidebar, I hate picture in picture, whether it's WWE or AEW. I would much prefer if they just cut the match off, went to commercial for 90 seconds and came back. I know they're doing that for the live crowds, but that doesn't make it right, in my opinion. Now, going to Roman Reigns. I have been waiting for a champion for a very long time that could carry that belt that would be a heel that a baby face could knock off the podium. And make no bones about it. I absolutely hated Roman Reigns. When Roman Reigns claimed that he had cancer, whether it's true or not, I'm not here to argue with you, okay? I still think that was brought out for sympathy to build him for his next match. I don't think it's true. I'll go on record on saying that, but that's just my opinion. Right. The character, and they built him to be a babyface when they did that, okay? When that switch was flipped and he became a heel, instantly I knew that he was going to be something special. Then when this head of the table thing started up, I'm like, there's the money. I hate the Usos. I don't like him as performers. I don't like them as people, but they bring something to that gimmick. But the binding factor in that whole thing, it sure the fuck isn't Solo Sokoa. It's Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn being the honorary ooze, adding that comic relief. I love Sami Zayn for that because Sami Zayn is the type of wrestler that Triple H needs to be looking out for and recruiting. The guy that's going to gain fans' interest the guy that can wrestle, and do exactly what he's told. There isn't a baby face out there right now that could take down Roman Reigns, but as soon as they turn Sami Zayn, there's your next WWE champion. I look at how Roman Reigns is being utilized, and it is the way... A world champion, in my opinion, needs to be utilized and it is a throwback to the way it used to be. What I mean by that is for younger fans, we only saw Hulk Hogan on TV less than a dozen times. And it was generally on Saturday night's main event, which was an every other month thing. And he wasn't guaranteed to even be wrestle on every episode he may have had a promo but he he wasn't guaranteed to wrestle so you got him on saturday night's main event and you would get him on one saturday morning show a year and that was memorial weekend that is the only time you saw hulk hogan on television i, I mean until pay-per-view came in you know what i mean um 
they are very much utilizing that formula and being sparing with how much exposure we have to Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns feels special now. Like it's a big damn deal when he when he makes an appearance. And I don't remember the last time he wrestled a match on regular television. Like everything has been gearing up for his upcoming title matches on pay-per-view or WWE Network or Peacock or whatever, premium live events they call them now. Um, you combine that aspect with the stranglehold that he's had on the title and I'm not even, I'm, I'm, I'm even bypassing Triple H's run at when he was the Uber heel and was world heavyweight champion. And I'm bypassing JBL's run as WWE champion. Um, I'm going back to superstar Billy Graham because when superstar Billy Graham had the WWF title before Backlund took it, um, dude, people paid big money to jam pack the garden in, in New York city to watch whoever was next in line to go in the ring and try to knock off superstar Billy Graham, who was the biggest heel in the business at that time. Now, here we are in 2022, Roman Reigns is that guy. They have booked him the right way. They have not, for a guy who was originally shoved down our throats and we couldn't stand very much like what, what you were saying, I mean, everything about this guy and his presentation has flipped a switch. No longer is he being shoved down our throats. And in fact, there are weeks where I'm like, damn, I could use me a Roman Reigns promo right now. You know what I mean? Like he has improved that much. And I think he is the right guy. But Sami Zayn, to be the one that knocks him off, I could see that being a thing. I would liken that to the last time we we saw a title change of that magnitude would be Eddie Guerrero winning the WWE title from Brock Lesnar. Well, I think what you're not seeing, or maybe you are, is that Sami Zayn has a, a legion of fans that are just waiting for that moment. I, I think I think you're exactly right. When we get that Eddie Guerrero, we're going to get that Eddie Guerrero pop when he knocks Roman Reigns off. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like I said, Roman Reigns is the, the champion I've been waiting for. But to be fair, what have we had in the last 20 years? You know? I mean, it's like comparing... Hulk Hogan to David Arquette, as far as I'm concerned. And what I mean by that is, there's an old term I used to use. When you're the shining diamond in a toilet of turds, you're going to look like the best. But when you're a diamond amongst other diamonds, you're going to be hard to pick out. Right now, Who's the competition for Roman Reigns? There isn't, and there hasn't been. There hasn't been a, a, a significant belt holder, in my opinion, 
since Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, sure, you could throw The Rock up there and you could throw Shawn Michaels up there. You know, but as far as I'm concerned, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he he was the man. He was the banner waver in the last 30 years. Roman Reigns is a far cry from a Stone Cold Steve Austin. Whether it be, I mean, he, he does a good promo, but he doesn't wrestle as well as Stone Cold. He doesn't talk as well as Stone Cold. Roman Reigns is, to me, like, okay, you and I, we always talked about when we were young, the WWE was the only game in town, right? right. Or WWF. Roman Reigns, to me, is Ric Flair in the WWF or WWE. He, he's, got, he's got his three other horsemen with him. He's got his manager. You know, he's got Jay, uh, James J. Dillon. And Paul Heyman, who by all all rights should be doing all the promos for Roman Reigns instead of calling him his tribal chief, he let Roman speak very sparingly. So, yes, I'm comparing Roman Reigns and uh, his clique. I, I don't know the name off the top of my head. The um, bloodline. The bloodline. I'm comparing them to the horsemen, but nowhere near as good as the horsemen ever were. That's my opinion on Roman Reigns. Okay. I mean, I can see that. And when, I mean, comparing any faction to the four horsemen in terms of impact on their respective brand, like, man, the NWA was run by the four horsemen for a long time and for all the right reasons. You can, uh, you know, we wouldn't see anything like that again until the New World Order. And then, I, you know, on the WCW side, on the WWF side, you had DX. Like, those are the big three factions, really, in, in the history of professional wrestling. The bloodline, you're starting to see more groups start forming here. I feel like the bloodline at this point is that or horsemen in terms of like, this is the group to beat. You know, you got Roman who is the undisputed champion. You've got the Usos who have both brands, tag team titles, uh, solo. I mean, you could put the intercontinental title or U S title on him. Sami Zayn, fit them in wherever you want. Like they're <laughs> they're They are that group right now. Now, you're starting to see groups like Judgment Day. You're starting the OC is back together. Um, there's all kinds of rumors about Bray Wyatt forming the Wyndham Six or the Wyatt Six. Uh, however, that, that that looks. Are these groups being positioned to be a threat to the bloodline? Because I mean, you're looking. As we look forward here, we've got the the Survivor Series on the horizon. And for the first time ever, they're having two War Games matches on a major, uh, you know, big four pay-per-view. This is not an NXT special. This is the Survivor Series. And I don't know if this is replacing the concept of your traditional tag team elimination matches that made the Survivor Series what it is. But, I mean, if you're going to do that, you've got more than ample replacement in in the form of war games. 
So what the fuck is that is is that going to look like? Obviously, you you got to believe the bloodline is going to be in one of the matches on one of the sides. Who's going to be on the opposing side? Is it Judgment Day? Is it the OC? Is it Bray Wyatt? If he forms this group, I kind of think he, this is the the other thing. You got to be careful with Bray Wyatt. You know what I mean? Like, they've had ample opportunity to do amazing things with this guy, and they keep fucking up his booking. They book him into a corner, especially with this last run as The Fiend. Um, You got to be careful with him. Would you agree with that? The Fiend was garbage. I disagree. I <laughs> I love The Fiend. If, the Fiend was garbage. Uh, I don't think he should have been Universal Champion. I don't think he should have come back burnt up. You know, I I think the whole thing with him and Alexa Bliss was uh, garbage. Um, you know, I, I love the Firefly Funhouse. Okay. <laughs> <I love laughs> Firefly Funhouse. But I, to, to me, The Fiend was a Vince McMahon trying to be larger-than-life character. And we know it was Bray Wyatt who came up with this whole concept because we've seen pictures of him with, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, the dude who, who makes all the creature creations. Oh, God, why is it coming? I know, what, I know who you're talking about. I, don't, I can't think of the name off the top of my head. Right. I just... Bray... You're right about Bray Wyatt. They could not let him get sucked into AEW. But just like Bray Wyatt, even though AEW's having problems with him, AEW cannot lose CM Punk. You know, they just suspended him. He's all making all this money. Can you imagine what's going to happen if CM Punk, his contract gets bought out by AEW, because that's what they're talking about. Uh, apparently, there's a standoff in the non-compete clause. Right. Obviously, there's, if there's a standoff in that, there's obviously been negotiations from the other side of the tracks over there in Stanford, Connecticut, who want CM Punk back as soon as possible, even though he's injured. You know, we're going to have new pipe bombs about AEW if AEW doesn't hold on to it. So, I didn't look at it as him potentially going back to WWE just because of the disdain that he has for the company and Triple H. You know, I, I don't know if, you know, who knows, dude? Like, they nobody really knows what happens behind closed doors. Are they having conversations? But when I read that, you know, in terms of being bought out and that the standoff was the no-compete clause, like, I was thinking... Is he trying to strike a deal with uh, one of uh, um, all Japan? Because I know New Japan has a work, some sort of working relationship with AEW at this point. So is he looking at the other promotion in Japan? Is he looking at WWE? That would be, I that would be the one thing that I would legitimately be shocked about if he was to return to. WWE. I have my feelings about CM Punk, and they are by and large not not very popular opinions. Um, like 
I'll just leave it at that. Because <laughs> I've been in locker rooms with that guy. He's an asshole. I mean, legitimate real life, he's an asshole. And I'll go on record saying that. Um, but it's so funny, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about what you and I are sitting there talking about. And we're going to talk about power tripping through the 80s for a second. We don't, since this is a crossover show. Mm-hmm. When we were young, we never knew anything about contracts. We never knew anything about buyouts. We never knew about negotiations or storylines or this, that, and the other. We, we were kind of veiled in the world of kayfabe. You know, we really thought that Nikolai Volkov was from Mother Russia. We really thought the Iron Sheik was from Tyran. You know, really thought that Sergeant Slaughter was an American turncoat. I miss those days. And that's why I see the wrestling was so much better then. Um, you look at the storylines we got now versus the storylines we had then. I mean, one of the biggest ones that we had was Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik with Nikolai Volkov and the, and the whole Cold War. Um, we had that. We had a chance with that. Um, when we, uh, WWE, oh my Lord, I'm, now his name's going to escape me. Not Mustafa Ali. Who's the other? Muhammad Hussan. Yeah, we, you know, when he was the champion there for, uh, was that his name? Oh, Jinder Mahal. Jinder Mahal. When Jinder Mahal was WWE champion, we had a chance for a major storyline there with a major heel, and they cut that off so short. Um, one I'm going to bring up, and people absolutely hate this guy, was Ryback. If you remember right, towards the end of Ryback's WWE run, he was getting one hell of a response. They didn't want that, so they got rid of him, which is why he's so bitter with the WWE right now. If we were to turn real life like we used to into storylines, I think I could be more invested in the world of WWE right now. But when I got Liv Morgan, who, yeah, I have a real disdain for her. Um, Clearly. Yeah, I, I mean, she flip-flops characters like Tobias J. Fargo. I mean, she. <laughs> I mean, so so one minute she's. Uh, are you okay there, sir? Great. <laughs> I mean, went so down the wrong hole. What's that? It went down the wrong hole. <laughs> oh. But Liv Morgan, to me, is. While she may be getting better, she's not a wrestler. The Fabulous Moolah, that was a wrestler. Leilani Kai, that was a wrestler. Um, Wendy Richter, a wrestler. You know, Mickey James, we'll talk about now, wrestler. Um, Shayna Baszler, wrestler. Ronda Rousey is Ronda Rousey. I mean, <laughs> she cheated her reputation with her. But, I mean, seriously, how can you look at Liv Morgan? Or let's just, they call her one of the best of our generation. But, um, oh, Lord, her name is escaping me, and you're going to hate me. Liv Morgan's twin. 
Bray Wyatt's Bray Wyatt's uh, Alexa Bliss. Alexa Bliss. I look at these women. What the hell was that? I said Alexa, and my Alexa went off in the next <laughs> room. <laughs> um, the stuff that they're trying to put out and portray as wrestlers anymore, I, I, I can't buy into it. Um, I just watched uh, Liv Morgan from last night take on. Uh, oh my lord, the one that was just WWE commissioner. Uh, Sonya Deville. Sonya Deville. Now her gimmick is that she's got the makeup running down her face, and every time she gets hit, she laughs. Yeah. She's 110 pounds. If someone's going to punch her in the face, she's gonna, she better crumble and cry if she's going to wrestle. I, I don't know, man. I just can't buy into this stuff anymore. Let me ask you this. How much of our fandom our fundamental fandom, do you think, or you, has been influenced and almost to a point ruined because we were part of the business? Because we don't look at it the same. No, at least 95% because I'm going out there, I'm not watching the show as a show. I'm dissecting the show as it happens. Between the characters, the character development, how they move in the ring, what their ring positioning is, what the timing is, whether something is applied accurately, whether something looks believable to me or not. This stuff doesn't look believable to me. When you go back to the days of, you know, uh, Dick the Bruiser, the Sheik, Bobo Brazil, I mean, those guys legitimately look like they were beating the hell out of each other. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, wait a minute. I jumped a gun. Rowdy Piper and Jimmy Snuka, the coconut. Legitimately, I thought, beat the hell out of them. Jake the Snake Robertson, Macho Man. The snake latching onto Macho Man's arm. Liv Morgan receiving a dropkick and laughing because of it isn't believability. I, I, I know my fandom has been ruined, but I am a fan of good wrestling. I'm a fan of good gimmicks. Uh, one of my favorites right off the top of my head, just like you said, is Sammy Shaw, Dexter Loomis. I love that guy. Um, AEW, I absolutely love Orange Cassidy. Do you I really? I love that guy. Just because he's so unique in his presentation. And it's weird, too, because I shouldn't be able to buy into him. He puts his hands in his pockets when he wrestles. I shouldn't be able to buy into him. Right. But there's something about him that makes me enjoy him. Whereas I can't enjoy a lot of the WWE, well, all product anymore. So. It's, it's crazy to me. Um, when I was a kid, I would you know, buy the toys, I would have the rings, I had the big rubber LJNs, I had my Andre the Giants, my Hillbilly Jims, you know, I had gimmicks, I had characters, I, I, I bought everything off that they fed me. And I know I'm almost 50 years old, but I can't even think to stomach the stuff that they're trying to feed me now. 
The only thing I'm really buying into is Roman Reigns. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Finn Balor sounds like a 12-year-old boy when he cuts a promo. Put a little bass in your voice. You know, I said the same thing about Malachi Black. You know, when he cuts a promo, as soon as he opened his mouth, I lost all believability in him. It didn't matter to me what he was doing in the ring. You sound like a little kid. I don't know. I guess it's the aspects of wrestling that I used to hold dear to my heart when I was younger. It doesn't hold up in today's world. So, and I'm just... Get off my lawn. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of it, Sean. Professional wrestling has always been a mirror of society in some regards. You laid out perfect examples from when we were growing up. Like during the course of the Cold War, we had Hulk Hogan against Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. During the first squirmish in Iraq, we had we turned Sergeant Slaughter, Mister USA, into an Iraqi sympathizer. So the all-American hero Hulk Hogan had his rival, right? Like that's you look at Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that time period, the whole Austin McMahon feud, that was during a very, um rebel rebellious era not just in professional wrestling but our society as a whole like we like we were pulling out all the stops and we were pushing the envelope just to see how far we could push it now i feel like wrestling as it is today is a reflection of our society which by and large and I have said this in multiple ways across the platforms here on the network, our society is deteriorating. There is no more getting, you know, taking time to invest in anything. Everything has to happen. No, no, no. You need instant gratification. And with instant gratification, you are going, you're seeing I'll use the Young Bucks as an example. I cannot stand the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks, in my opinion, are everything that is wrong in professional wrestling right now. As performers and as executives. Because they are the ones that have championed this. um, You know, everything is a goddamn high spot. There is no more psychology. Psychology is becoming an afterthought when matches are being laid out or storylines are being written or, or this, that, and the other thing. I listen in a real fight. I ain't jumping off a motherfucker and doing 15 fucking flips before I land on somebody. You know what I'm saying? That era of believability. Now, every once in a while, great. You want to throw that spot in there. Cool. You know, when it started to become a thing, when, you started getting all these TLC matches with the Hardys, Edge and Christian, and the Dudley Boys. Like they kind of set the table for what has become like the era of the Young Bucks and things of this nature. The Young Bucks have no fucking business being in any kind of 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 decision making roles. They have demonstrated that in personal interviews. Shoot, it, you know, it, they're marks, man. They they got trained or whatever. Great. 
but they have no fucking idea how to be a professional wrestler. They are a high spot exhibitionist. That's what they are. And the fact that they were put in position of power behind the scenes in AEW says all you need to say about them. I know they've got their fans and people are going to want to hang me for saying that. I don't give a fuck. They are what's wrong with wrestling right now. I'll throw Kenny Omega in there too. Great worker. Great worker. But he didn't grow. He didn't come up the system like most everybody else did. Like he spent a tremendous amount of time in Japan where he was having what Dave Meltzer would call these five and six star matches. I'm just not seeing it. Maybe it's when I look at a guy like a Kenny Omega and put and everybody puts so much stock in him and then I watch what he's doing and I'm like, he's no Ricky Steamboat. He's no Randy no. Savage. You know what I'm saying? Like as much as you want to put his name next to guys like that, it's never going to fucking be a thing. And if you do put a Kenny Omega over a Ricky Steamboat or a Randy Savage, uh, I'll go one further. I'll go Randy Orton. Uh, you, you have your your basis of comparison is a very very small window of time. That's just my opinion. Well, I'm going to say this: Fuck Dave Meltzer. And the reason why I say that is is Dave Meltzer is nothing more than a mark. He's a fan, just like you and me. The fact that he come up with the star ratings for these matches is one thing. The fact that these workers are going out there and caring about what kind of star match that Dave Meltzer is giving them is something completely different. Yeah. Why would you care what one single fan feels about your match. You should be caring about what everyone in the arena feels about your match. Now, with that being said, I think that has a lot to do with the Young Bucks style. And when I say style, and I've used this term before, um, the Young Bucks are looking for that viral moment. That, That moment when their high spot or their flippy do gets a million views. I'm gonna, you know, you and I are gonna disagree. I like the Young Bucks for that reason alone, because they put on such high energy, exciting matches. Now, do I agree with you that they are what's wrong with the business? Absolutely, because they care about how many stars that fucking Dave Meltzer is going to give them on their match. I don't like seeing 50 super kicks in a match. There's no psychology. But every once in a while, I want to take a break from the psychology aspect. And I just want to see a performance. Okay? We're not going to call it a wrestling match. We'll call it a performance. And if you take wrestling out of the context, it makes it sound a little bit better. <laughs> but you are right. One of the things I complain about almost insistently 
is that when young guys go to get trained to be wrestlers, they get trained to wrestle. They don't get trained how to conduct themselves, what the secret rules are, how, you know, how, how go about showing respect, the history of the business. You know, these guys are going in their balls out and looking for that viral moment, and they don't care at whose expense they do it at. That's why the WWE is so different than AEW. WWE is looking for uh, longevity. Is that the word I'm looking for? In their, in their, in their product. Where AEW is looking for that viral moment in order to gain that popularity breach, in order to gain that Dave Meltzer, you know, five star rating. So the the issue with that is now, and you're right, is WWE for the longest time. They were trying to give the fans instant satisfaction and gratification. Now they're building Roman Reigns. But they are centered on Roman Reigns, in my opinion. There isn't enough storylines going around for the amount of talent that they got. And some of the talent that they do have that they're insisting on showcasing should probably be sent back to NXT in order to learn how to really, really work. And I guess that's kind of where I'm going with this whole Liv Morgan thing. I I think she was brought up to the main roster too early simply based on what she looks like and who she is. I don't think she should have ever been in a position of being a professional wrestler. And I believe there are others out there on the WWE roster that don't necessarily belong on the WWE roster and should be relegated back to NXT or the independents. They're not TV ready. I, you know, I, I agree with you on Liv Morgan. Like I, I've not been a fan at all. Um, I disagree a little bit with Alexa Bliss. Just the charisma that that chick has is off the charts. Okay. Granted, she's like five foot three and 97 pounds or whatever, but like, she's got charisma. There's something about her. I'll give you a, a, another one that I am a fan of. I feel like can be somebody if she had better opportunities to, to showcase what talents that she has. I mean, she's, there's still room for improvement, but like she's got some fun. There's something about her that I feel like if she had the right opportunity, she could really do something. That's Lacey Evans. Lacey Evans is a fucking badass. Um, and she's not being booked as, as such right now. Like I really dug the whole Southern bell gimmick because it stood out from everything else that, that was happening at the time. Now, since she's come back from 
having a baby and stuff like that. Like she's just another tall blonde chick, you know, like there's no real story behind her. And I guess that's where, you know, my disconnect comes from. Like, like you said, like everybody that we saw on TV as kids, like they had, they had a gimmick. There was something that made them stand apart. You know, even like your glorified um, enhancement talent, your SD Jones and, you know, Corporal Kirshner and, and, you know, guys like this, even though they, they lost more than they won, like you still know who they were. They stood out. There was something different about them. Nowadays, it's very hard. You know, it's very hard to pick out, especially with the women, because there's so many similarities. It takes somebody unique to really stand out above the pack. I'm sorry. I had the longest time to figure out um, the, the difference between Mandy Rose and Liv Morgan before Mandy dyed her hair the darker color. Like when she was blonde, I had a hard time f- figuring out who was Liv Morgan and and who was the other one, you know, Man- uh, Mandy. I just, nothing stands out. And that's why I have an appreciation for the Bray Wyatts, for the Roman Reigns, for, you know, guys like this, because there's they stand out. Uh, Dexter Loomis, you know, goddamn, push that guy, because he's different. He's different um there's other guys that they could be developing to step up to be the next one to step up put them with the intercontinental title pitcher put them in the u.s title pitcher make those make those titles the focal point on the respective brands and use roman and the world heavyweight title to bounce back and forth between show to show you know, you look at Seth Rollins, you look at Austin Theory, you look at uh, Chad Gable is a perfect example. My God, it took forever for this guy to catch on. Now is the time. And timing is another thing, right, Sean? I mean, you got to have timing, the right time to pull the trigger on these guys because doing it too soon will fuck them up and waiting too long will fuck them up, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I'm listening to you. <coughs> And you're telling me about the gimmicks that stand out to you. And they're all men. Okay, you said that you had a hard time picking out Mandy Rose from Liv Morgan. WWE doesn't like their women to stand out, as far as I'm concerned. And you can tell that <coughs> on their roster because they have Dewdrop. When was the last time you seen Dewdrop? When was the last time you seen Tamina? You know, women who I think, in my opinion, could look like a champion. You know, I mean, how believable is it to see Dewdrop get beaten by Alexa Bliss? It's not believable. But I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> well, I I have one. Well, I have two exceptions as far as as the women are are concerned. There are two that stand out to me. One is Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair is a star, dude. Like she, she, there's something, she is special. She is very special. She has a unique look, uber talented in the ring. Um, she's magnificent. Like I, I will, she has my attention. She's believable. Yeah. The other one who has my attention 
I mean, aside from Ronda Rousey, because like you said, Ron, Ronda Rousey has crossover appeal. Like she, her star came from a different genre. It came from UFC before she came to WWE. So I put her off to the side. Ronda Rousey is Ronda Rousey, just like you said. Bailey. Bailey stands out to me. She has a unique look. Her promos are believable. Like she comes across as a legitimate bitch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like she, she plays her role. She knows her role very well. And she's, dude, every time she goes out, she gets better and better. I maintained for the longest time up until Bianca Belair came into her own. Like for my money, the best worker in the business, generally speaking, man or woman, based on presentation, based on mic skills, based on in-ring work, was Charlotte Flair. Um, granted, you know, she's off TV for a little bit, but she's another one, man. Like, when you see Charlotte Flair, that's a star. She carries herself like a star. She presents herself like a star. She performs as a star. And, like, her and Bianca, like... <laughs> Those two and Bailey, like, those are the ones that stand out because they're unique. There's something different about each and every one of them. When you look at the WWE female roster, and you look <laughs> at the AEW female roster, I will put the AEW women's roster up against the WWE women's roster at any given point in time. Jade Cargill is a star. I mean, she's green as all get out, but she has so much potential. Potential, it's, it's unbelievable. And Athena, while I've never been a fan of her work, she's that much more believable than seventy-five percent of the female roster in the WWE. I guess my problem is is believability. Okay, so we didn't believe that Mantar was half man, half. Bison. Uh, you know, um, but I sure the hell believe that Skinner was from the Ozarks. You know, people probably don't remember Skinner. Now, the repo man, while you know, most smart people would know that he wasn't really a repo man, he was entertaining as hell. There's no gimmicks anymore. Where's the gimmicks? The only one that has any gimmicks right now and in my opinion, and I keep saying that, is Dexter Loomis. Uh, when you look at Dexter Loomis, he's got everything. He's got size. He's got a look. He's got, I mean, the, the man is just everything that needs to happen is Dexter Loomis. I, I'm looking at, you know, the WWE raw male wrestlers, okay? Akira Tozawa. Why does he even need to be on the roster anymore? I don't even remember the last time I seen him on TV. Baron Corbin's back with another gimmick. I heard with them counting him on uh, another podcast with Dave LaGreca, how he could possibly be the best wrestler in the WWE right now. Oh, Baron Corbin? Baron Corbin. Okay. Yeah. Guess uh, I missed that boat. What's that? 
I guess I, I missed that boat because I just don't see that. Uh, Cedric Alexander, they haven't done nothing with him since the Hurt Business. Yeah. And he's a great worker. Um, Dolph Ziggler, probably pound for pound, besides Chad Gable that they got on the roster, and they don't even use him hardly anymore. One of the biggest ways to skin who should be sent down to NXT, Dominic Mysterio. I have maintained that they should have put a hood on that kid. Uh, he's not believable. Like, I feel like he's going to be, if anybody is going to have one of the next great success stories, it could be Dominic Mysterio over the next five to 10 years once he really starts to get his footing in, but the best thing they could have done for him is separate him from Ray. Moving yeah. Ray to SmackDown, keeping Dominic on Raw is the smartest thing, because as long as he was in Ray's shadow, he was never going to improve, you know? I mean, in every aspect. Like, he has knowledge. He knows how, how to wrestle. My God, his father is Ray Mysterio. It's not like the guy can't work. He just doesn't, he's green. He doesn't have the experience. He doesn't have that confidence. You right. know, say what you want. I don't give a fuck what his last name is, but you can tell there is a lack of confidence there. And like, he's been in the ring with, with Seth Rollins and AJ Styles and things of the, you know, guys, you know, great, great workers, the elite. And though, I mean, he can only get better every time he works with guys like that. I feel like working alongside his dad was going to look, I mean, get, separating him from Ray is the best thing that could have happened to him for sure. Putting him with Rhea is one of the best things that could have happened to him because that gave him a character and a gimmick. Yeah. I'm, I'm still going on here. Reggie. That guy is talented as all hell, but they gave him a gimmick of Reggie. Right. I, there's nothing there. Shelton Benjamin, probably one of the best workers out there. They do nothing with him. Wasted opportunity with him. Here, here's another one. Dominic Dijakovic. Everyone hmm. else knows him as T-Bar. Yeah. When that, when that guy was in NXT, he was incredible. And got the Dave Belcher five-star match. Why aren't they using him anymore? I mean, these, these are people that they should be using, but they're focusing on and I know a lot of people like him, but Seamus. I'm not a Seamus guy at all. I mean, Big Bill, he's going out there and slapping the shit out of Walter and vice versa. But his time is done. Um, I disagree with that. I am a Seamus guy. Oh, okay. Because he's I believable think... to me. You see that guy in a bar and you're thinking, that dude can fuck somebody up. He's believable, but the amount of time they invested in him, like, I could sit there and put $100 in a slot machine and get a $10 return. <laughs> After a while, I'm going to stop playing that damn slot machine. You know what I mean? But right now, his his group, this fight club group that he's got, fight night group or whatever the hell they're calling themselves. The, the Brawling Brutes. Brawling Brutes. 
<coughs> Sorry about that. So, what what are they calling the the, the dude in the hat now? Butch. Butch. That guy. Pete Dunn. Pete Dunn. That guy was so over in NXT, and then they call him Butch. That guy could have been a superstar. And <clears throat> I guess this is where I'm going, and I'm going to go back to the beginning of the show. Triple H needs to refocus on who he's focusing on. In my opinion, again, refocus on who the WWE is focusing on. Listen to the fans and see what kind of reaction these people are getting instead of trying to like they did with Roman Reigns when they tried to force them to uh, accept him as a baby face. And they went to the extreme of, you know, his whole cancer ordeal. Instead of trying to force feed the WWE what they think they want to see and listen to the fans and give them what they want to see. Trim away the fat. Get rid of the Akira Tozawas and shit like that. Focus on your two guns. And, and, and go from there. I, I'm sorry, man. I mean, when you think of 80s wrestling, you can look at the Hulk Hogan Rock and Wrestling cartoon and you can see who they focused on. Hulk Hogan, Hillbilly Jim, the Junkyard Dog, Roddy Roddy Piper, Fabulous Moolah, Captain Lou Albano, Wendy Richter, uh, Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik. You know, you had about a dozen people you could focus on. And get those storylines across, and those are who the people resonated with. Those were the storylines that you resonated with. Have everyone else go out there if you're going to build them, like Austin Theory. I, I love the kid. Like you and I talked about earlier, that kid's got something special. Put him in the ring with a, some enhancement talent. <coughs> Have him beat the shit out of them. Work his way up the roster. Cash in that money in the bank contract and do something with it. You know, focus on what you got good, get rid of the bad. And I, I'm sorry, I just, this roster, this regime, unless Triple H starts making some right moves, he's not the savior of the WWE. Well, you have presented a very, a very compelling case. Um, you know, a, a lot I a lot I agree with. Some I did not, and I addressed it, and I gave you my, my my reasons why. You mentioned something just a few seconds ago that we saw during our fandom as, you know, when we were kids, when we were exposed to, to the business that is not generally utilized here today with the current product that's enhancement talent to build your bigger stars Monday night raw and Friday night Smackdown. Like they became the shows where you saw name versus name. Whereas the superstars of wrestling and wrestling challenge and primetime wrestling, like they, they utilize that airspace to showcase the stars that they were building up by having them win quote unquote squash matches over quote unquote you know, jobbers, enhancement talent. Could that formula work here today? 
if they were to hire in or utilize like your Tazawas and um, Reggies and things of this nature that aren't being utilized, could could they be used as enhancement talent for a quick three four minute matches to to build up an Austin Theory, to build up Butch, to build up or to, you know to further other guys like Gunther and Omas and you know these guys that need to be cultivated a little bit more. Okay, so that's a tricky question, especially now. Uh, look what happened when Braun Strowman come back. He completely came in and destroyed the entire tag division on SmackDown. And I took serious exception to that because they were building uh, oh, golly. I'm always, the only ones that weren't worth a shit were Humberto Carrillo and the other guy, you know. Los Lotharios. Los Lotharios. But you have them going out there destroying Otis and Chad Gable and, you know, the Stir the Cup guys and, you know, this, that. You have almost going in there and almost is destroying Enhancement Town. If you use your Akira Tozawas and Boy, that, that we just keep going back to that name. But in your T bars and Mace or Masse, you know, no, I don't. On the business side of things, it's not going to work because you're paying those guys too much money. Um, I like the idea of them going to local towns, picking up local talent, and using them as enhancement talent. Uh, and the reason why I say that is a couple very specific. Uh, enhancement talents, if you will. Uh, one year back in the early 90s, I went to the Palace of Auburn Hills, and one of the other card matches was Tim Horner versus Nikolai Volkov. And Tim Horner schoolboyed Nikolai Volkov and got to W. Holy shit, an enhancement talent beat Nikolai Volkov. Barry Horowitz was enhancement talent forever. And remember when he got his first win. Horowitz wins. Horowitz wins. You can take that enhancement talent through creative and build them to, to be a, a potential superstar. You remember when Monday Night Raw first started, you had the one, two, three kid versus Razor Ramon. And now look what happened to Sean Waltman. If WWE were to have some Saturday morning programs like we used to when we were kids. Build their bigger superstars or even their mid-car superstars to take on enhancement talent. I think it would work. The problem is, is a lot of enhancement talent is as big as the current WWE superstars. You know, I, I remember... Hercules Hernandez taking on Barry Hori, Barry Hardy, and Hercules was just a monster compared to Barry Hardy. You know, right. Put him on the phone, Nelson, in like thirty seconds. You're not only using your enhancement talents to build your your workers' win loss record, if you will, but enhancement talent also means they're enhancing your workers completely. The, the way they look, the way they act. Enhancement talent has a bigger job than just taking taking the dirt nap and looking up at the lights. They're there to help build superstars. 
I, I think the issue is, is a lot of people on the Indies, they already got in their head that they're already superstars and should probably be going over the Humberto Carrillos or Joaquin Wilds, you know? So I, I don't know. I just, I, I think it could work, but in, in that same regard, I think you would have to get more creative within creative to make it work. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, very good points. Very good points. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add in to this episode before we put a bow on it? I mean, I you, when you tackle a topic like this, I mean, we could literally be sitting here all fucking weekend long and just completely dissect the entire business in every aspect of it. Um, is there any other points that you feel like you want to get off your chest because I mean th- this was something that had you fired up, you know, in 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 the crosstalk, and I'm like, man, this is <laughs> this is compelling shit. <laughs> I just wrestling nowadays just does not have the same soul mm-hmm. as in the '80s. Um, a lot of wrestlers nowadays, in my opinion. And even on WWE, but especially in AEW, they're not out there for the fans, but they're out there for that viral moment. They're out there for themselves. Indie workers are out there to pop their buddies in the back more than pop the crowd around the ring. And I just think that if we focused more on the people who are buying tickets to our shows, rather than what's going on within our own careers, I think the product would become that much better. You know, if you're worried about win and loss records, you're not worried about the business. You're worried about yourself. So as Levi Blue would say, take or duck to get the fuck out of the business. No, my sucker, bitch. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this episode. You make some good points, man. And like I said, I, I agree with a lot. Some I, I did not. But, I mean, that's that's what makes the industry so special is that, well, I mean, adults, anyway, can sit there and have a an actual conversation, disagree on the point, d- discuss it. And wouldn't you know it, by the time this thing goes off the air, we're still going to be friends. And um, that's just... <laughs> I guess that's what separates the men from the boys, as it were, right? At least that's my opinion. Yeah, no shooting going on over here, I'll tell you that. Uh, Just like Joe Gacy, (laughs) man, everything's good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With that, we appreciate you guys tuning in this week. Special thanks to Sean Krugel for uh, making the crossover to the the Turnbuckle Time Machine. Uh, you can listen to Sean every Wednesday with uh, Power Tripping Through the 80s here on the PFC Podcast Network. If you have any questions, comments, show topic ideas, or anything of that nature, uh, hit us up over on Facebook. Just look for Turnbuckle Time Machine or go to KlausToTheHeart.net. That also has all of our contact information. With that, go out, be awesome to yourselves and to each other, and we'll see you next time right here on the Turnbuckle Time Machine on the PFC Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm.